Welcome to the first ever Fairly Unorthodox podcast. My name is Jessica Lee Jones, co-founder and chief executive of Younger Solutions, and I'll be your host for this podcast. We'll be airing fortnightly on Monday, so please make sure you tune in and you can connect with us on socials using the handle Yungo underscore solutions. We're in all the usual places. Over the coming episodes, we'll be inviting some special guests to join us as we delve into the topics such as entrepreneurship, career development, and the future of work. Of course, we're always very interested in hearing your views. So if you have a suggestion for a podcast topic or you'd like to join us on the show, to share your work and lived experiences, please drop us a line on socials. So today we're here to talk about transferable skills. I'm joined by my co-founder, Tom DeBal, to explore the question of how transferable skills can benefit you and your career. Thanks, Jessica. Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, really pleased to introduce you to our, our first podcast. Um, and as Jessica said, it's, it's going to be on transferable skills, which we feel is a really good place for us to start. It's a particularly topical point in the current climate, um, and we hope that you enjoy the discussion, uh, and it does resonate with, with a range of different people, particularly those um, who are possibly looking for job change, um, students, people who are starting up on the, on the career ladder. So I think before we sort of delve into the complexity of how you recognize and how you utilize uh, transferable skills, it's, it's a good idea to start with the easy bit maybe, that's, that's just describing what they are. So transferable skills are the capabilities that people have uh, learned, evolved over a period of time um, and ones which aren't unique to a specific role or situation or, or environment uh, and therefore can be transferred and, and can be used across different roles, uh, different industry sectors um, and in different personal situations as well. We have, as I said, developed these over time. Um, you will have picked up transferable skills um, through different work environments, through potentially volunteer work, sporting activities, hobbies, and maybe just balancing that sort of work-life situation on a day-to-day -day basis. These are all areas where you will have picked up these skills and they will have gold therefore over time. So I think it's really interesting that you've started off by saying, let's start with the easy bit. Because I think for most people, you know, being able to name transferable skills is, is not that easy at all. You know, I think we all get confused sometimes as, as, as to what transferable skills are. So I suppose could you, could you give our listeners some examples of what you might consider to be a transferable skill? Yeah, sure. I think uh, transferable skills, uh, there's a common misconception that they are soft skills. I think what may come to mind or if you, if you looked up transferable skills and you'd probably come across... Uh, time management or uh, research, um, but the scale of them does expand to more technical aspects such as uh, data analytics or project management as well. So I think that's really interesting actually you picked up on that technical aspect because I think when you're in employment, even if you're not in a technical role, if you're working with technical people, so you know, let's say you're in a manufacturing environment and you're an operator, I think having a level of technical literacy having a technical vocabulary that you sort of share with your co-workers really helps in terms of, you know, getting to the bottom of problems quicker. And I, you know, I, I've certainly not thought about it before, but it does seem like technical literacy, data literacy in particular, you know, would be a really transferable skill. Yeah, absolutely. Especially, you know, in, 
in this world where the technology is evolving, it certainly is becoming a sought-after skill in many different industries, which, which maybe it wasn't before. I think the, the most common transferable skill which you come across is, is probably communication. Um, but again, I think this is an, an underestimated skill, which maybe, I think self-perception obviously comes into this a lot as well. People think they may be good communicators, but I think there are so many different aspects to communication in, in terms of uh, we see on, on social media, different platforms in social media, you have to be able to communicate to the audience correctly. So you have the written, uh, you have the oral communication, and for example, you know, you may be addressing an, an adult um, meeting, uh, whether it be a workplace or, or, or a social place, and you would address those people very differently to you would address an audience of school children. In, in, mm. You're taking a class of children, for example. And the key thing there is understanding your audience, putting context behind it. Um, and these are all learned, learned skills. But again, they are to a level that they can be transferred, but that takes a learning and, and a skill and experience to do so. Mm. Yeah, I think communication is a really fascinating one, actually, because communication often comes down to storytelling, you know, creating narratives to the right, that, that sort of appeal to the right audience at the right time and in the right context. And I suppose similarly then, leadership, I suppose, would you class leadership as a, as a transferable skill? Where does that sort of sit in the mix? You have to really, again, describe leadership or define leadership. I mean, it, it, there's often that, that the age-old argument, which you in the current studies would know um, very well against management. But what is the difference between leadership and management? Um, and are leaders born, I suppose, as well, well is, is the other question. Or can you become a leader? Is it a skill? So my personal opinion, it, you, you can be a natural leader. That doesn't necessarily mean you be a good leader. You have to have attributes um, to be a good leader that are skills and these skills are learned over time through experience to go back to this sort of distinction between management and leadership firstly um, I think with management it is more a real-time um, skill for you to be able to follow procedure policy to deal with something that is a short-term reactive element to, to your role or, or even day-to-day -day life Leadership, on the other hand, requires a level of vision, a level of understanding, um, and taking a more holistic view. Now, again, these are things and attributes which may initially seem more natural, but mm. certainly they, they can be learned, and a lot through experience, but they therefore are a transferable skill, because mm. if you can apply that sort of vision, that holistic view, if you can get people working together and working towards a goal and objective, that is transferable in a range of different environments. And certainly, therefore, leadership is a transferable skill. Mm. It's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I read a Forbes article that sort of said that leadership, it is a transferable skill, but it's the most complex of all transferable skills because you have to develop some of the other skills, such as time management, communication, delegation, data literacy, you know, all of these other transferable skills before you can actually develop that leadership skill. But I really agree with you. I think, you know, yes, you can be a natural-born leader. It doesn't make you a good leader. I think having an appreciation of the operating context, so if we go back to that manufacturing example, which obviously we're both sort of familiar with, 
you can't just go into a manufacturing industry and leave people. You have to have an appreciation of how the industry works, how the supply chain works, what relationships look like. You know, you have to understand the context and the culture of that organisation before you can go in and lead a team or indeed, you know, lead an organisation in its entirety. And, you know, I certainly agree with you around vision, but I think there's a pre-step to vision as well, because I think that you have to, you have to go in and you have to talk to people, right? So it comes back to communication and you have to be able to understand, you know, what are the pinch points? What are the challenges that people are facing? And then use that communication skill to develop a vision and to, you know, communicate that vision through a narrative and, you know, ultimately a plan that really, I suppose, builds confidence, you know, amongst your followers that you can lead them <clears throat> to a better end state. Um, and I think that also requires some out-of-the-box thinking, right? So I think some of the best leaders are creative leaders. And I suppose that's that's another interesting one. I mean, we're hearing more and more about creativity at the moment, but, you know, what about creativity? Where does that sit? Okay, so creativity is a fascinating one. Um, now, we, we know a little bit about this, um, with, with Youngo certainly being positioned within the uh, creative sector. I think if we, if we take a little look at, at the research, a recent report um, on employability skills uh, from the World Economic Forum, positions creativity within the top 10 skills required um, by industry by 2025. And likewise, then within Bloom's taxonomy of skills hierarchy, it sits right at the top there. Yeah, yeah it does. But this then, which is going to be such an important skill for people to have in the very near future, and probably right now, is it one that's taught? Can it be taught? I mean, I, th I don't know anybody I didn't get taught as a topic, or certainly not a subject in any school or college. Creativity. I don't know anyone who was taught creativity. So I suppose I can throw that back at you. Is that <laughs> can it be taught? And if it can be taught, why isn't it taught? If we're understanding this could be so important for us in the near future. It's a really good question, and I think we could almost get into a bit of a philosophical conversation about why it isn't taught. Firstly, it can be taught for sure. Um, I've seen it done, and, and I certainly use some of these techniques in my own teaching with UWTSD and with the Enterprise and Engineers program that we run. So essentially, if you if you want to teach creativity, it sort of doesn't lend itself to the way that curriculum has been developed, and it doesn't lend itself to sort of typical pedagogies that exist within education. So typically. When you're assessing somebody, you're assessing if they've got the answer right. So that assumes that you know what the answer is. But creativity is all about being original. It's all about, obviously, creating new things. That's why it's at the highest level of Bloom's taxonomy, because it's the highest level of cognitive skill that you can engage in, which is to create something that didn't exist before, right? So that doesn't lend itself well to teaching in a, in a typical sort of secondary school or, or even a university environment. But it can be done. And this is how you do it, right? So you come up with a problem, a complex problem, ideally, and you give it to someone and you say, find a solution. And you'll have different types of people. So you have some people who are real natural problem solvers, typically the engineers, right? We both know a lot of those. And they'll come up with a solution to the problem really quickly. And they'll sit there and they'll rub their hands together and say, right, I'm done, you know, problem solved, move on, what's the next challenge? And it's at that point that you say to them, okay, that's really interesting, but now go away and think of another solution that's different from the one you've already got. And let me tell you, that's where engineers really, really struggle, right?
right? Because they, they can be really sort of, you know, tunnel vision. I've got a solution. It solves the problem. You know, what's the issue? But if you can get them to go away and come up with another solution that's different to that one, and then you ask them to come up with another solution that's different to those two, and essentially what you're measuring, rather than working out if they got the answer right, because you don't know what the answer is, what you're looking at is how many potentially valid solutions have they got. And the more distinctly different those solutions are, the more creative they've been. So creativity, ironically, is a bit of a process. And I think that you certainly can train your brain to become more creative if you apply that process. And that, you know, certainly from a, if we link that back to leadership, and, and this is probably why I brought it up to begin with, I think being able to develop that skill makes you a lot more open-minded makes you a lot more tolerant of other people and other people's ideas. So if you're one of those people who kind of work things out really quickly in your head, practicing that creativity skill can make you much more tolerant and, and therefore, you know, in my view, a much more inclusive and a much better leader. Okay. Yeah, absolutely agree. Um, but, and it, it is interesting, isn't it, you know, that, that understanding of having to go through a process to be creative. <laughs> but, all right, so at Younger, we design courses, okay, with um, enterprise and entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship as well, um, in the context of engineering, but also in the creative sector as well. From an enterprise point of view, can that be a transferable skill? Hmm, that's a good question. So I'm not sure I would class enterprise itself as a transferable skill, enterprise feels more like an environment for developing transferable skills. And I think that's what we're trying to achieve with the courses that we run. And that's why I suppose differently to any other sort of enterprise or entrepreneurship course that you'll come across, we contextualize our courses for specific industries. So enterprising engineers and enterprise creatives are contextualized for those specific industries because what that does is firstly give you the operating context that we mentioned earlier. So you have to understand the industry that you're doing enterprise in, if, if I can use that for want of a better expression. But what that then does is by using enterprise as a process, as an environment, you can develop those creative skills, you can develop those complex problem solving skills, you can develop communication skills, you know, you have to write a business plan, you have to be able to communicate a narrative to potential investors. So you're developing a whole variety of transferable skills within the context of enterprise and you know certainly from my own personal experience going from working in a company where I had you know specific responsibility for operations or engineering or wherever it may be to actually starting a new company where you have to do all of these things right you have to do the the product design you have to do the sales you have to do the marketing you've got to do it all yourself until you can get to a position where you can bring people in to support and I think it's a really, really fantastic environment for actually developing those transferable skills. And so I think teaching enterprise not only helps you to build those skills, but it also gives you, I suppose, opportunities for different career paths. So to go into entrepreneurship within your chosen sector. Does that answer the question? I think so. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. Okay, so I think it, it just made me think it. Know, bringing it back to um, being relative and maybe examples of um, transferable skills in practice. 
Um, it just made me think you're talking about the manufacturing side of things and communication mm. side, the leadership, but and, and the more traditional, softer time management skills, etc. The interesting one for me, which was came to mind, and I, I, you know, I'm slightly biased and passionate about the catering industry, but people will be able to relate this because everybody's seen the you know the cookery programs, the master chef type yeah. programs. Okay, so you've got but a, a chef, for example, who is in a consider a high pressure environment in a kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, the skills required within that environment, you're dealing with uh, problems, complex problems, multiple facets of um, the operation that's going on in that kitchen, um, and the skills that are developed within that in terms of the, the leadership, the organization, also the management, and those transferable skills, to me, just come to mind from, from our background, mm-hmm. would also be very relative in a manufacturing yeah. environment. In a, in a fast pace consumer goods environment, those skills, without knowing that that was uh, in a, within a kitchen environment, those skills which, which are mentioned could be picked up and transferred to a manufacturing environment. But how many chefs would look at a production manager's mm-hmm. job description and apply for that role? Yeah, well, it's a really valid point, isn't it? That even though they've got all the skills to go and work in that industry, they wouldn't necessarily consider themselves a good fit. No, I think that's a really, really interesting example, actually. And I think particularly with everything we've got going on at the moment with catering and the hospitality industry and certainly, you know, the staffing shortages, I mean, maybe even it could work the other way. So, you know, if you're a team leader or a production manager in a, in a manufacturing environment, what's actually to stop you applying for, you know, a, a sort of hospitality manager's position, you know, hotel management, catering management, potentially. Um, you know, there's certainly some options there for people, aren't there, if they're looking for a, a career change. Sure. But I suppose what we identify what are the barriers for, for, for that scenario to play out, that they would go and apply for a role like that. Are they the fact that the, the job description they're applying for doesn't um, specify those transferable skills? Or is mm. it that the individual doesn't recognize that they have those transferable skills? Well, I think it could be a combination of both, but I think it could also be the language that's used. I mean, we talk a lot in recruitment about using inclusive language. So not putting, you know, specific underrepresented groups off applying for a job advert because we've used, you know, particularly masculine language or we've, you know, mandated qualifications that are not necessary, for example. But I think actually that the the terminology that we use in certain industries differs to other industries. And so I think sometimes, you know, I mean, if I would never think to work in catering or hospitality, but if I saw a job description and the language was different, to the language that I knew, then maybe that would sort of put me off as well. So I think it, you know, it's absolutely that, you know, maybe we focus too much on qualifications and maybe we focus too much on, you know, sort of recognition as opposed to core skills that you need. I think it's also language. And I think that does become a barrier um, for a lot of people. So we've probably covered this already, but in your words, Tom, why are transferable skills so important? The importance, I suppose, is they do form the foundation um, for any role, any job. They enable you to perform and be more competent in that role if you have a higher degree of transferable skills. So you may well have the distinct niche um, 
skills and attributes that are required to perform that given role. But if you have transferable skills, then they will just enhance your capability performing in that role. Mm -hmm. So I think that's one aspect. The second one is the opportunity. So opportunities for development, firstly, um, in terms of maybe within a company or within a given environment that you develop your transferable skills, you naturally will become better. Um, and you will take that, that viewpoint, maybe that holistic view, if you take leadership skills or management skills, um, but also from an employability point of view. So they make you more valuable. They will make you more desirable um, for employers. Um, and I think in the context of what we're discussing today, that, that's a really key aspect of it. Mm. But only if you can demonstrate, if you can evidence, if you can communicate effectively that you have those transferable skills. Mm. And to do that, you've got to recognize them. And that's a difficult bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think we should probably come back to that in a second. But I think it's really interesting that all of the skills we've talked about, they're not really taught in school. You do, you know, you, you sort of started off by saying you acquire these through experience, right? I mean, if you've got kids and, you know, you have to sort of manage your time with them and different activities and things, you're developing that time management skill. Mm -hmm. If you play a sport, you know, a team sport in particular, football or rugby or whatever it might be, then you're developing those, you know, team working skills. And... They're the sort of things that, okay, I mean, there are opportunities to do it within school, but I don't think there's a focus in terms of the curriculum on developing those transferable skills. So if you are, as, a, as an early career professional or as a career changer, able to recognise those transferable skills, as, as you rightly said, because you have all got them to, to varying degrees, if you can recognise them, I think you can completely set yourself apart in the jobs market, you know, from anybody else. And, and actually... If you are somebody who's looking for a career change, I think that can make you a really, really interesting counselor. I mean, there's nothing more, you know, exciting for me than getting a job application for a software role from someone who's done filming as their first career, you know, because you're bringing a completely different perspective. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, you know, really, really can set you apart. Yeah. I think the other aspect is that Individuals who want to and appreciate developing those transferable skills, it, it, it also shows that initiative to do so. Mm. Um, and although we've mentioned a lot of the, the softer skills um, here, as I said earlier on, there are those skills which are the more technical ones, the, the ones which require the theory, the learning, yeah. regardless of, for example, the project management and the data analytics, which again is, is a thriving part of, of many, many types of industry and businesses yeah. now. And I think understanding and being able to uh, appreciate and, and recognize what these slightly different, less soft transferable skills are, and then take an initiative to learn them as well, will add to setting people apart. Mm. Now, I agree with you. And, I, you know, I think the other thing that we've not touched on just yet is, I suppose, the, the disruption from COVID, right? So the, the pandemic has created entirely new ways of working. And some people have been able to adapt to those ways of working much more easily than others. 
Uh, and I think, you know, certainly what the pandemic has done, but for all the positives that have come out of, you know, remote working and flexible working and all those sorts of things, it has also exposed that digital divide. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so, you know, I, th- I think that's just something worth reflecting on at this point in time that, you know, transferable skills, there are all of those traditional, you know, the leadership and the communication and the teamwork and all those sorts of things. But we also have to think about digital and we have to think about, you know, even the, the communicative skills that are required in a remote working environment, because you don't see people. I mean, we know in our company, right, we've not met, you know, in person, you know, probably half of our employees. Mm-hmm. And they're based all around the UK. And I think, you know, we've certainly seen challenges with some of our employees in, in terms of being able to engage and being able to communicate and actually getting that sense of belonging with a business as well is, is really difficult. So I think, you know, I don't know if there are any courses out there or, you know, what, what sort of support there is for doing this, but I think that people need, you know, maybe to focus on that. What does the future of work look like and what kind of transferable skills are you going to need to actually be able to operate effectively in the future of work? Yeah, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's difficult for employers and employees in this situation. And I think both are going through quite a learning curve. Um, so at this point, it's really is a case of, of ensuring that the engagement uh, is done for the individual. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure there's anything that goes across which people just go and look up how to mm-hmm. you know if, become a good communicator in, in this digital remote environment. Uh, I think it's going to take a little while. For mm-hmm. that it could be a gap for that. <laughs> um, but what it what this does do is present a huge opportunity for people to sort of set to take a step back um, and with a different landscape for um, companies now and employees to really sort of understand what is required, what works for them as a business and mm. as an individual. Um, and it almost, it almost levels out the playing field for a lot of people. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting way of looking at it. I, I think you're right. I think there's, you know, space now for some self-reflection and some introspection within organisations, but also individually as sort of employees, I think there's an opportunity for us to really take stock of where we are. Um, I also think, and I mean, we went through this at the start of the pandemic, you know, this is prime time for organisations to, I suppose, make an assessment and make an investment in digital infrastructure as well to make sure that, you know, they've got the right digital infrastructure that supports all of their employees and, and make sure that all of their employees can, you know, actually access the virtual workplace equally so sort of overcoming some of that digital divide so yeah it's really interesting probably a, a topic for another day i think <laughs> okay so how can transferable skills help you when you're searching for a job okay um i think in terms of how they help you in search for a job um you know i think we've got to start with people being able to recognize them first to be honest and i think we need to explore the ways which people not can just um, rely on their own self-perception to say, you know, am I a good team player? Um, Which is what most people put on their CVs. Exactly. (laughs) I'm, 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 you know, an excellent communicator. Um, I think it's what tools are available for people to really understand what their transferable skills and their strengths around transferable skills are. So they cannot just make generic statements, that they can mm-hmm. demonstrate, they can give examples, 
um, and they can really show that they can create value through the application of their transferable skills in the environment in which maybe they're applying for a job, for example. So possibly using things like the STAR technique, I suppose, situation, task, action and results. So almost, you know, considering a transferable skill in that context and being able to give some really sort of tangible examples in an interview, but I suppose also, you know, putting some things on your CV that have a bit more substance than I'm a good team player. No, absolutely. I think it's really important. I think those are things which are going to separate candidates. Um, it is being able to understand their transferable skills, but apply them in a different context, maybe to how they learn them. Mm. I think the other thing is when we think about job searches, we think about the very sort of traditional way of searching for jobs that are similar to maybe what you've done or what your qualifications are in, what your experiences, whatever. You find a job, you write a CV and a covering letter, it's all very standard. It's all very sort of, you know, there's not much that's going to make you stand out in that situation. But actually, I think given where employers are right now, and we've heard about these sort of staff shortages in the hospitality and catering sector, mm-hmm. um, you know, em- employers, businesses just cannot get the staff, right? It's a really, really strange time sort of coming out of this pandemic period. And I think there are opportunities now, if you're looking for a career change, to actually do your own research on some companies. Get a feel for their culture, look at Glassdoor, you know, get an understanding of what they like to work for, and then actually approach them for a conversation. And I think what people will find is that, you know, particularly because of this sort of talent crisis that is sort of being termed at the moment, that employers are going to be much more likely to have really good internal progression routes. So you may not be able to go in at the level that you're looking for right now, but it could be a pathway you within the company so if you can use those transferable skills to get a foot in the door okay you may not have the knowledge of the industry you may not have that operating context that we mentioned earlier but actually you can get your first step on the ladder mm-hmm. yeah so so i think that's about fit okay so i think mm-hmm. transferable skills therefore can support that um, demonstration that you would be a fit for a company and i mm-hmm. think that's a really important aspect which companies are now looking for Absolutely. And I think if there are any companies listening to this podcast who are sort of, you know, interested in how they can build those internal progression pathways, looking at apprenticeships, I think, is a really good option as well. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people write apprenticeships off because they see them as being, oh, you know, you get paid £4.50 an hour and it's for a 16-year-old, when that isn't the case at all. We know that from our own experience. Um, So I think for, for both employers and, you know, job changes, considering apprenticeships, could be a really sort of smart move in the current climate, being able to sort of have a formal up-training, upskilling and retraining pathway in a, in a completely different sector. I agree. And I think certainly, you know, without going too far on that slightly tangent topic, but people have had time to reflect. And lots of people have been on further, lots of people have been in a position now where they've, they've sat back and there's more appreciation for that work-life balance. So I think a lot of people will be more willing now to, as you say, maybe go down uh, a step in the ladder, Mm. in theory, to get into a new company, to get into a company that maybe fits with their work-life balance, their values, their ethics, better than their previous company. Mm. And and likewise, there might be necessity because they might need to change sectors or change industries. And to take that step backwards, 
to then have a more fulfilling potential career mm. and like say apprenticeships then do learn themselves nicely yeah it's possibly about having visibility of what those pathways could be as well which i think is is quite critical when you're making a, a career change okay so we've talked about or we've sort of alluded to the need to recognize transferable skills so I suppose, in, you know, in your experience, how can you identify your own transferable skills? What sort of tools exist for doing that? Okay, well, in terms of building profiles, there are some good tools out there. Um, we have quite a good tool ourselves <laughs> within, within Younger of doing so. We do. Um, but I think having that step-by-step -step guidance, um, having the ability to, I suppose, look at your life experiences, look at your work experiences, but from uh, a different point of view than maybe just how you remember them. Mm. And I think often you do need a tool to do that, to sort of guide you through it, um, to pull out those aspects, or ask the right questions of yourself to do so. Um, I, I also think that a standard CV sometimes is very difficult to, to really go into the detail, um, and as a format, maybe doesn't lend itself to that sort of demonstration um, experience. Um, and maybe a portfolio sort of approach mm. um, is one which people should, should look at. Um, I think you're, you're right. I mean, we've got a project on with Cluster at the moment, the sort of creative organisation. And we are looking at, I suppose, simplifying a job application process and taking out all the fluff. So getting rid of those covering letters and getting rid of those scenes and actually getting to the, the crux of, is this person a good fit for my organisation? And I think you can do that through a portfolio approach. Mm. You know, even, even sort of pulling in social media, I mean, that can be really relevant in some industries. If you're going into the screen and news sector, for example, your social media following, your credibility, if you like, publicly is, is really, really important, but also being able to showcase work that you've actually done. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of people will have skills outside of their day job. So I knew someone who was, he worked in local council. He was really good with the camera. And so he was able to obviously get involved in marketing projects within the, within the council, which boosted his sort of experience and his profile and made him more sort of susceptible for promotion. But he was also able to do some photography on the site, hmm. you know, and actually, obviously, contracts permitting. I know some organisations can be a bit funny, but he was able to build up his own sort of freelance business outside of working for the council, doing this photography. And uh, well, one of his photos is on the on the wall, actually, for anyone who's watching the video. Hmm. Um, so you know, I, I think it's it's really really interesting the portfolio approach, being able to actually demonstrate to an employer. This is evidence that I've got graphic design skill. This is evidence yeah. that I'm good in front of a camera. You know, this is evidence my social media account, and it can extend to you know blogs, creative writing, all kinds of things. So yeah, that's that's definitely a really interesting one. Okay, so what would be your key takeaway for our listeners from this podcast? Hmm. Okay, I think um, that everybody does have transferable skills and probably to a greater extent than people realize. Um, and more than that, that those transferable skills will probably create more opportunities than they also realize. Um, especially in this changing environment, which we're in the changing landscape, which uh, for work, 
um, the, the sort of future of work and skills that are going to be required, I think it's a really good opportunity to explore your transferable skills, understand them, and explore where they could take you. Really wise words, Tom. I couldn't agree more. Unfortunately, that's about all we have time for today. Please feel free to join us in two weeks' time for our next Fairly Unorthodox podcast when we will explore the question of how to use your transferable skills and specifically how to use them to pivot your career. We'll be discussing some practical tips such as how to write transferable skills into your CV and how you can use them to position yourself for that career leap. We'll also be addressing some of the key hurdles that you can face in changing your career and how to combat them. Thank you very much for listening. Nostar, good night. See you Thank all you. soon. Good night.